Welcome to And Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And Carpe Diem, we're looking at Dead Poets Society. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Amy Jo, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine, Jeff. How are you? <laughs> I am good. Today, uh, This week's episode is a listener request from Christina. So thank you, Christina, for thank you, Christina. requesting this <laughs> beautiful film. Uh, and if you, listener, have a movie you'd love for us to break down the casting of, email us at and almost starring at gmail.com and well, let us know. Film, you'd even just like us to break down the casting of, you know, just shoot a us film- a... You would hate for us to break down the Just casting. Send us suggestions, <laughs> you know, and we'll curate as needed. Absolutely, and you know, we're, we record these episodes in advance, so maybe we'll have already recorded them all. But it's spooky, scary season month is upon us Ooh. in just a short week. So you know, if you've got those spooky, scary movies you'd love for us to break down, you gotta get a, get that request in now. Uh, and don't forget, as always, like, subscribe, write a review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Uh, and don't forget to check out our Patreon. I don't know why we're, we're very, very We are always based. insisting that you tell your enemies about us. <laughs> tell your least favorite person. Foist our <laughs> podcast upon them. Um, and be sure to tell your your mortal enemy about our Patreon at patreon.com slash end almost starring. Yeah, trick your enemies into supporting independent <laughs> artists. Uh, with, of course, as you already know, faithful listener. But if you didn't, uh, we got that full-length commentary watch-along on Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. Three hours of us breaking down all the bananas people who almost got cast in that movie. Three hours of me, like, reliving my youth and then trying not to cry. Um, and, <laughs> and failing. You know what? Uh, yes, thank you. Yes, I fail. Spoilers. For Lord well, of the Rings, I cry every time. Well, that's a perfect segue, because speaking of trying not to oh. cry and failing, uh, Dead Poets Society came out on June 9th, 1989. <laughs> it was directed by Peter Weir and written by Tom Shulman. Amy Jo, what's your experience with that Dead poet society uh and why did i why do i keep forgetting that it's not poets with as the possessive and i keep thinking it's the society of the dead poets and i'm like no no no, no. there's no there's multiple no poets who are dead yeah, yeah yeah yes but i keep forgetting that the in dead all poets of my notes that i've written out uh, and had you seen it before um yeah this was a mage film of my high school experience um which i think really is the optimal time to watch this film like because you are also like i too long to find my own voice i long to do something with my freaking life you know like it's really <laughs> the right time for it. but can i can i share that i had to watch this in chunks cuz my schedule's been so bananas and so i yeah. like had it downloaded and was was watching it at work, which is uh, I'm in a show, so like I have a I have a, about an hour break like in the middle, and so that's like when I can like do work because I can take my wig off and like and so I definitely last night was watching the last half hour of this movie 
full like eyelashes and like dramatic. I was like, you can't cry because your makeup's already running in this photographer here tonight. You can't cry. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Like just really trying to hold it together at my dressing station, like full, just covered in sequins <laughs> and makeup that I could not afford to run. Um, but yeah, I saw this a ton. I really haven't seen it in oof. I don't know. I've I, I've maybe watched it since college, but this is one that I watched so many times in high school. It was one of my favorite movies. Um, mm. So it was the interesting experience of there were a few things I was like, I can't quite remember exactly how this plays out. But obviously, like I remembered most of the major stuff and the major scenes and everything. There was just some other stuff I was like... Oh, Knox, 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 you know, goof, like goof. We'll some of that Knox. stuff, some of that stuff hits differently in 2022. I can't believe that Knox Overstreet, is it? I can't believe yeah. that's Josh Charles character's name in Dead Poet Society and not in Wet Hot American <laughs> Summer first well, day of clearly camp. also Wet Hot American Summer is like in a way like a, a, a light reference to like these kinds of guys that were like in this film you know oh, like, sure absolutely honestly Camp also Tiger claw so like growing up i grew up in texas and i would watch this movie and i you know I, I we went to new york city when i was like 12 13 i think but i'd never really been to new england until i i moved to boston for school so for college so like growing up i thought I, you know, I read a separate piece. I'd seen this movie. Like, I loved a separate piece. I loved this movie, you know, and I really thought boarding schools and like rowing and all these things were like very a thing of the past. I didn't mm. realize, mm-hmm. I just didn't realize how different different pockets of America are. So when I was in high school, we moved to Colorado and I was like, wait, people still play lacrosse? I legitimately thought it was an old time sport, you know? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh no, there's competitive lacrosse teams. And for, you know, Texas, <laughs> they love sports. They love every sport. So you would think that lacrosse is just another one, but no, it's more tennis or, I mean, football, obviously. But so... Watching this movie was also, like, for me, a lot of, like, wish fulfillment as a kid. Because I was like, ooh, I want to, I want to, I always wanted to be English, you know. And this feels like the American version of English is, like, going to a boarding school. (laughs) But then when I went to college, I did a couple shows at Harvard. So I had a ton of friends at Harvard. And one of my friends there, like, we were, like, hanging out in his dorm. And he had, like, this straw boater. And I was like, oh, what's this? He's like, oh, this is from, this is my, like, hat from Groton which is like a boarding school. It's like a fancy boarding oh. prep school that like sends you to the Ivy Leagues kind of thing. It was like like this. And like when they had the kids in the straw boaters, I was like, oh, that's like a thing, you know. Which <laughs> my like, dream. <laughs> I was like, where's my straw boater? Um, yes, yes but you're, it, in, you're in Texas and you're like, oh, look at these mystical things of the past I'm watching in this movie. Straw boaters and rowing and snow. <laughs> Well, ain't that the truth? We just had ice. We just had (laughs) ice. We had more snow days in Texas than in Colorado because it was easier to drive in snow than on ice. So anyway, like it felt very mystical to me. And then I went and met and I'm not going to like actually say people's real names, but like some of my Harvard friends had names that we at the Boston Conservatory where we were mere idiots who just like to sing. We're like, 
you're really a someone the third? Like fancy long names. We're like, no one's named that. That's your name? Like very no named Knox Over Street. But like not that, but not as far from that as you'd yeah. think. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> wow. Wow, 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 wow. You're third generation Harvard and that's your name. Like, so watching this, it's like, it's not actually as pasto times as I Sure. And speaking of seeing this movie in chunks, I'd seen this movie in chunks. That's only how I'd seen this movie before this. I'd only, it was always on TV, I feel like. So I would just see bits and pieces. I've seen the last like 45 minutes multiple times, but I don't think I'd ever seen the first half hour of this movie until watching it for the pod. And it's so, so good. It's such a beautiful movie. Uh, and like, I understand like complaints levied against it and yeah. whatever. And it is, you know, of its time, time and that time being sure. 1989 end of being when it's set 1959. Right. In terms of just being about, oh, these, you know, poor white boys. Privileged and boys at this their, yeah, these elite very boarding privileged school. Boys and their problems. And, you know. But I do I think the, the last, the, the latter half has just less i mean obviously like there are still the same people but it's it's uh i think like the just kind of human elements of what they go through like still hits really hard and, and some of the stuff in the first half i'm yeah. like oh, i might well, recalibrate a, this there's but. a universe yeah, uh, yes it's exactly. absolutely universal the a lot of the themes of yeah. you know living up to what your parents want for you and exactly. trying to make your own mark and trying to like live for today and make you know to make your life an extraordinary life you know watching it now really i also got such a sense of like you know how these how these young men especially at this time but like you know still today like how the school system in many ways is is training you to be like a cog in the machine like to help the machine Mm. of industry run you know and then these are young men who are being trained to be like scions of industry and to see like why that's dangerous to this school, like why that's not okay or acceptable to, you know, the, the dean and, or whomever, the you know, headmaster, whatever, yeah. and, and the, the board and all of that. It's like, oh, yeah, because things have to run a certain way because that's Yeah, that's dangerous to, to be questioning authority. Yes. To yeah. not be, yeah, Which totally. that feels very <laughs> ever-present. That feels like every generation has its version of that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen Dead Poet Society or you haven't seen it in a while, here's a brief-ish synopsis. And I will say, uh, trigger warning, uh, if you are not familiar with the film, it does deal with uh, suicide. So just to be aware of that, that we will be discussing that. That That is a major aspect of this film. Uh, So as I said, uh, the film is set in 1959. Uh, where we meet Todd Anderson, baby, baby Ethan Hawke, who begins his junior year of high school at Welton Academy, an all-male prep school in Vermont, where he's assigned as uh, his roommate, one of Welton's most promising students, senior Neil Perry, a baby, baby Robert Sean Leonard. These sweet little uh, baby boys. And we meet Neil's friends, Knox Overstreet, Richard Cameron, Stephen Meeks, Gerard Pitts, and Charlie Dalton. Uh, and the film, they get this new English teacher, John Keating, the great Robin Williams, RIP, who has all these unorthodox teaching methods. He's having them rip out the introduction of their poetry book because he hates the way that this guy is trying to make poetry into like a, a bar graph. Yeah, and easily like how, quantifiable, like right. something has to be important and like 
perfection with the meter and the rhyme, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and he's got all these crazy teaching methods. He's having them stand on his desk. He's having them march around outside. And the teachers are all, this headmaster is just harumphing, harumphing through this film. How dare he have them walking around learning I, to, to think I for themselves? I do have a question as to what playing just a full-on game of soccer has to do with English class. As someone who loves English class and hates <laughs> soccer, I would be like, now, could we read something? Why don't you instill in us the love of sitting and reading um, rather than this? But well, that's my that's own the, POV. <laughs> I think the people that already love the sitting and reading are good on that front. But then to be forced to play sports, <laughs> my least favorite thing to be forced to do. Well, it's like, uh, who is it? Charlie, a.k.a. Nuwanda, who's mm -hmm. like, when everyone's marching, he's like opting not to march. You could opt not to play soccer. And, yeah, and you he'd be like, you know that. what? That's the lesson. You've learned to think for yourself. You would think that and you'd be wrong. <laughs> I'm <laughs> been forced to play kickball forced to participate in sport and not, well, not in my safe space of english class well not by mr keating is what i'm saying i don't think he's forcing you into sports we get this great little scene because they uh, the director was saying there was a feeling that because this was robin williams first like full-blown dramatic role yeah. he'd done good morning vietnam but that's still He's still so, doing the radio voice like it's still yeah. really leaning into what he does as a comic persona. Exactly. So director Peter Weir planned a half day unscheduled shoot. And he said, like, this isn't a thing you can do today with how much it costs to make a movie. But like kind of concealed this from Disney's front office that they planned this half day just to let Robin like improvise. Mm -hmm. Just to like kind of not get it out of his system, but just to be like this way we've got it. It's like in case there's any worry about this just being solely dramatic it's there uh, and they told all the students like come in robin's coming in after lunch to do a scene that isn't in the script just remember he's still your teacher and you'll wreck the scene if you laugh like you're watching a stand-up comic mm. so this is all him doing the john wayne impressions right. him doing the brando was all filmed in this half day and that it all made it into the film, everything he was doing. Uh, and peter weir said when robin's improvising he gives off an electric charge you can feel Mm. I think with with all of that, what was so interesting about that whole chunk and the 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 intro to him, like when he takes them out into the hallway and is doing the whole like carpe diem, look at the, you know, his background as a stand up in this slightly more muted fashion. I don't mean muted, like dimmed. I mean, like appropriately channeled for this character in this setting works really well because, you know, a lot of really good teachers and lecturers are excellent at engaging their students by being funny, you know, and it's just so interesting to see how he was able to channel his stand-up and imp improv into this kind of focused aspect. Absolutely. Uh, they find uh, Keating's old yearbook because he also used to attend Welton, which is actually Robin Williams' old yearbook picture, oh, which is adorable. Uh, and they learn that he was a member of the unsanctioned Dead Poets Society. So Neil restarts the club and he and his friends sneak off campus to a cave where they read poetry. This, this, I, I want to say real quick, Peter Weir shot the hell out of New England. It looks incredible. And this whole yeah. sequence where they're leaving for the first time and they're running through the woods and it's like little spooky music and it's kind of shot like <laughs> autumnal and spooky. I was like, oh, no wonder I love this movie so much as a kid. Because like I was such a rule follower. I never, if I had been in this situation, would have been a person to go and do that. But I love to watch other people thrive in that way. And it's just so pretty when they're like running through the gothic architecture in their like Harry Potter yeah. cloaks. So I was like, oh, 
It's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, we kind of, I mean, it, it's kind of vignette the film, but we're mainly yeah. following these, like, I mean, outside of following Keating's year at this school, we're following three of the main students. We're following, as we said, Knox Overstreet, who starts pursuing this girl, Chris, this cheerleader who's dating Chet Danbury, which is so many great names in the this film. The most, like, 1950s name you ever heard. Chet, Chet Danbury. Uh, and this is, you know, Josh Charles is being as cute and charming as he can be, but this is this is rough. Once he, Chris, like, invites him to this party that, like, my boyfriend is throwing this party at his parents' house when his parents are away. And he's like, she invited me to the party. Like, clearly she wants to be with me. And, and, and Charlie's oof. like, now, what do you think is going to happen, bud? Like, his friends are trying to help him, but when he... When he shows up to this party and opens the door and pops his head and goes, hello, hello, Chris, just like he's in some <laughs> SNL sketch. It's like, oh, Noxy, baby, Noxy. No, this is the part where I was like talking aloud and groaning. Yeah. I mean, number one, his languaging around it. He looks so sweet and innocent and cute. But then his language is like, if I don't have her, I will kill myself. And it's like, it's Brr. not if I don't take a shot, if I don't try, that's no. different. Yeah, um, well, he, he winds up getting very drunk at this party because oh. these guys mistake him for someone's All younger right, brother. These two actors are my heroes. Friends. These friends of Mutt. <laughs> to Mighty Mutt. I was like, oh, way to come in and do everything in your one minute of screen time. A plus. No notes. It's true. But he's just drunk and Chris is passed out on the couch. And it's like, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. And then the scene suddenly becomes bathed in red like we are in a full-blown horror film as he gives the slowest, slowest forehead kiss to her and i was so uncomfortable through yeah. all of this yeah i love the in, in an interview josh charles was talking about the making of this film and he was asked like do you think do you think that Knox and chris make make it do you think that they stay together as a couple and he's like absolutely not this is not a couple <laughs> that has legs because they eventually you know he shows up at her school to read her poetry he's written and then she shows up at Ooh. his school uh, and they do wind up getting together. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I love Josh Charles, but I could have gone snip, snip, snip to all of this subplot. Yeah, it does feel like it's so funny to to like look at it now because as a teenaged, like I thought Josh Charles was very cute in this movie. Sure. So like I it's it's your one romantic subplot. Yeah. You know, and you I was like, like interested in that. But like now I'm like, I, I oof, oof, I'm <laughs> ooh, you know. I get it. But I, I will it. say the one thing that having him go outside of the school is it does really help throw into relief like their lives versus like, quote unquote, normal kids lives. Because, yeah. you know, we see like the chaos and the fun of like the public school of, you know, the hallways and everything and how different it is. I had forgotten until this rewatch, like how studious they all start. It's the first day of school and they're planning their study groups that night, you know? Yeah. And so that for them to actually go and start this dead poet society is a, a real break with what they're doing, that they're all very good rule followers. These aren't like troublemakers. These aren't like quote unquote bad kids. Everyone, they're like very invested in their education. Well, and they so do pass around the occasional cigarette. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's right. That's right. But like to see the contrast with like what, like the, the regular, like school down the street is doing i think that that is where the subplot is actually useful is more for context than for the actual quote-unquote mm. romantic um 
situation. Yeah. We're following Todd. We get the great scene where Keating helps him come out of his shell because he's very withdrawn. He's very shy. Like he does come he along. He lives in the, the shadow of his older brother. You get the idea. Yes, that's yeah. right. He's got the legacy. He's like a legacy uh, uh, addition to the school. And Keating just like helps him like pretty much just improv some poetry just about i definitely cried watching this yeah, scene this same. time <laughs> this this was i just <laughs> tears shot out of my face yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and hawk vividly remembers that day he said filming that scene was like being part of a powerful collective dream like we were poking through to some alternate universe i've been chasing that feeling ever since Ugh. And he's been in some good movies, so. He sure has. That's sure hard has. when you have a seminal experience that young, you know. I mean, this was his second movie, you wow. know. Like, it's really wild. Uh, and Neil, Robert Sean Leonard, discovers his love of acting, uh, gets the role of Puck in a local production of Midsummer Night's Dream, despite the fact that his domineering father, Kurt Woodsmith, wants him in the Ivy League and is, has his whole future planned out. It's mm-hmm. like you cannot, makes him drop the, um, what is it? like the, the the, the annual, yeah, basically. the year, the yearbook, because uh, he's like, no, that's not part of. We don't, we don't have time. We don't have time for that. Even though he's getting that. straight A's, doesn't already. matter. Yeah. yeah, I know. And he certainly does not have time for this acting. So it doesn't matter. The show's tonight. You're dropping out. Um, he also says, "I've got the main part." Is Puck oh, the main I part have of Midsummer trust, Night's I have Dream? So many notes on this. The fact that. <laughs> At the show, the rest of the cast pushes him out to take another bow. I'm like, how bad was the bottom that that Puck is the one they're like, oh, you really stole the show, Puck? Yeah, I, I, I was writing down like, uh, it's really arguable if this is the main role. I think it's a bottom, maybe an Oberon, certainly the lovers. It's just like, Puck, it's a great part. And he does get the closing speech. Um, but I think they've really, I was like, how much have they cut this, that Puck is the lead? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Bottom wasn't even standing close to center at the, (laughs) at the bowels. I was like, where's Bottom? This is Bottom erasure and I won't have it. I won't have it. Uh, He's having to act in this big donkey head. Meanwhile, Robert Shaw Leonard is in just black sweats with tree gloves and like, (laughs) <laughs> look i'm sorry but this midsummer looks like crap this midsummer well, looks it's, awful it's giving community theater i will say though these kids they have training this is not their first rodeo uh it's saying <laughs> shakespeare and i was like this is this is better than it should be just from a text speaking standpoint i was like this is neil's first time acting and he speaks verse like this this kid <laughs> has training no wonder he goes on to be in much ado about nothing <laughs> Uh, but neil's dad shows up so neil like keating uh encourages neil to like just have you ever told your dad that this is how passionate you are about this like have you like really like tried to like make your stake about it um and he then he comes back and tells keating that he did that his dad is letting him do the play which i think this is just a lie right oh it's obviously a lie yeah yeah no he clearly hasn't talked to him he's just assumed his dad will be in chicago and so he's gonna do it and his dad won't ever find out about it but no it's like obviously a lie when he's like picking he's like yeah i think he's gonna let me keep with acting like and you're like oh this poor child like yeah but his his dad shows up at the play and like as soon as the show's done just like drags him back home and says i'm enrolling you in military school uh for the remainder of your your schooling uh this poor mother this poor mother 
who just like clearly wants to like help but i mean it's also a time and in a time and place where it's just like well she's not the breadwinner she has no agency and like you know he also seems like a very domineering man this father as you've said so oh and just like yeah. probably runs roughshod over her as well which you see i mean like that's like you know which i, yeah. I love she's in the mother is barely is like in the movie so little but this actress is great like such an impact yeah um and after he you know it says like you're going to military school and like the mom like tries to comfort neil and can't really do much and like as they're going to sleep you just hear her start to cry and him yeah. being like Oof. like stop like like it'll be it'll be okay it'll be fine like yeah that night neil like the father wake. It's really amazing it's how this really, whole sequence is done because yeah, the father yeah. just like wakes up suddenly. Like, did you hear that? And it's like we we never hear the gunshot. We no. never hear. We see Neil get a key and unlock a door yeah. and pull out a gun. So we see we see the pistol. Well, but we we first it's just wrapped. You don't see that it's the that's pistol. True, it's, that's it's, true. But it's amazing. The, the shot is amazing because he's just sitting there like bare chested at the desk holding this like wrapped gun that you can assume, but you don't know for sure as this right. camera pulls away and it's like a beautifully framed shot and the, the dad winds up coming in and you just see like the smoke behind the table and from the gun hand, and, yeah. and his hand. Uh, and it's just devastatingly ugh. shot. The two of them, ugh, I'm going to cry now, the two of them like coming in and discovering him and like rocking back and forth. That's just, that shot is just like, it's yeah. devastating. And so, the parents, and I'm sure especially the father, want to put in and invest, have an investigation at the school to see, to pretty much of like they are, they are, this father is shirking the blame of clearly, you know, clearly why you can't your son understand did this. like why, wh- wh- what could the events of tonight have led to, you know, which I mean, like, it's such like 17 year old logic, right? To not see that there are other options available to you, you know, um, yeah. and to not be like, well, you could run away, you know, like that seems just as impossible, but like, but better, yeah. surely. Yeah. Yeah. But they wind up, of course, pointing the finger of blame at Keating that he, if he had not encouraged Neil to go try to act, that well, this wouldn't have happened. Well, it's also seated really, really well that like the kind of reluctantly added member to the Dead Poet Society is Cameron, who is Charlie's roommate, who they're all kind of always like oh brother like this guy and he of course is the one who like tells them everything about dead poet society and and like tells them everything and and it's like oh yeah because you're you're gonna grow up to be a very efficient cog in this machine right you know yeah um and all the members wind up signing this pledge that it was key that was well except for charlie because he punches he punches him and gets expelled so he doesn't have to this is very true charlie aka nuanda punches cameron and gets expelled and he's then he's gone he's out of the out of the movie um and we get this iconic final scene of because that todd also signed he's todd sees everyone else is signed who still remains at the at the school in the dead poet society so he signs as well and keating comes into the class to collect his things and Todd tries to say, you know, like they forced us to. And Keating's like, I believe you. It's okay. And as he's leaving, Todd like stands up on his desk and says, oh, captain, my captain, which is and Keating has said like, you can address me as Keating. You can address or you can address me if you, as oh, captain, my captain, which they do several times throughout. Several and times throughout. a lot of the boys, all the dead poets, except for Cameron uh, and a lot of the other members of the class stand up on it's their about desk. about half I, the class. Yeah. And I love, I love the number. I love that yeah. it's like not everyone and it's not everyone but cameron but it's 
Some are like, I'm not standing up. I'm, I'm not getting expelled well, the for way, this. When they, when they do the reverse and you see the wide of all of them like standing up, you can see the, the kids that didn't stand like all kind of like have their heads down and like their hands are like the body language is very like, don't, don't look at yeah. me, um, which is very smart. They're like, I'm not, I can't look at this. I can't be part of this. And I'm like the, the shame mixed with like the, you know, whatever individual mm. thing they each have going on, defiance, whatever is, is, um, it's just very well, um, visually curated. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, apparently. So in the original screenplay, the writer said he got to, a, he's like around page 70 or 80. He felt the need to explain why Keating had this carpe diem philosophy. Cause we don't really learn a ton about him. We learned that he was, uh, in England for a while. We learned that he has like some love that he had like that is still there we don't really know how exactly that's resolved or not mm-hmm. and we know he used to go to this school but we don't really get too much into his home life or his personal life you know so the writer originally had in he thought that he should have had a fatal disease he, he was gonna give keating was gonna have hodgkin's lymphoma something where you like you can live 20 or 30 years but it will ultimately shorten your life so he wrote a scene where the boys come into class and Keating isn't there. They find out he's in the hospital. They go see him there and where they learn about this. And then the next day he's back in class having survived his latest acute attack and he's back to his old self. So it's something that's there, but it's not like he's like on his deathbed at the end yeah. of the film. It's just like a thing that you're aware of. Uh, and when Peter Weir got the script, he's like, look, I won't make you take that scene out. But if you don't, I'm not directing the movie. And furthermore, if you don't want to eliminate that scene out of your own volition, I'm still not directing the movie. And the writer was like, like, what, what's the problem? Like so many other people, that's like their, one of their favorite parts. They were like, told me how moved they were by that. And he said, which the writer was like, I completely agreed with what Peter Weir said. He said, he explained that at the end of the movie, when the boys stand on their desks, it'd be easy to make that gesture for someone who's dying. But if he's not dying, then we know they're standing up for the values he's taught them, which is mm. much more powerful. And the writer said, damn yeah. it, Peter, you're right. <laughs> it's so true. Well, and also, like, I think there is something about, because I feel very strongly about talking to younger artists and certainly, like, when I go back to Boston Conservatory, which I have a few times and like talk to the students like, I don't know, I feel very strongly about just giving them a a fairer shake than it felt like I had just like more information, more context, more perspective and more sense of possibility. Yeah, you know, as we, we were kind of when I was in school taught, not taught the people that would come and talk to us were like either industry people like agents, or people who were like, Yes, I've headlined this and this Broadway show, like alums who had had big success, whose names we already knew. And, you know, the last time I came back and spoke to like a full class, I was like, look, you didn't know who I was before I walked into this room today. You've never heard my name. You've certainly like never heard me on a cast recording. Like, but I do this professionally. I make a career at this. And I I wish I had had someone like me come talk to me so that I could see that it's not either Broadway or you're a failure, like to open up the idea of like possibility of, you know, a career path being many things of that being okay. And in fact, that being good and joyful. Uh, I wish I had had that. So I do think there's also something about he went to this school. He knows what it was like to be a student at this school. And also that these are people who most of them come from a lot of money So they're going to go on. These are the Brett Kavanaugh's of the world. You know, like these are people who are going to go on and be policymakers and be people in charge of things. And like 
to be able to inspire them with a sense of like, maybe think about what you're doing rather than just like going forward because you were told to, and that's just what's done, that that actually could have impact. And that I just think it's really smart making him a former student of that school and not just some teacher who's coming in to like shake things up. But he's like, I want to shake this place up. Yeah. And that he does. Ron Williams said that one of the main reasons why he wanted to take the role is because he wished that he had a teacher like Keaton when he was growing up, which is so (laughs) beautiful. Uh, So the casting director of Dead Poets Society was Howard Fewer. Fewer has also cast such films as All That Jazz, Basic Instinct, Groundhog Day, and previous episodes, Silence of the Lambs, To Die For, The Truman Show, Moonstruck, and Arthur. Oh, MVP over here. <laughs> Given old Hershenson and Jenkins a run for their money with all well, of these. Well, not just bangers. that, like all the movies are so good. The quality is high. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all subjective. And as always, I've looked up all the actors in advance. And Amy Joe is hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. So let's kick it off with Neil. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Robert Sean Leonard as our leader of the Dead Poets Society. And uh, who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Well, this inspired a deep obsession with Robert Sean Leonard for many years. Like, and So I, when I was in college, a freshman in college, came to New York to see him in The Music Man. And my friend and I, who I was going to see it with... Went to the Starbucks on on Fifty Second Street while we because it was you know not that far from the theater and we um we were having you know coffee there before the show and like several cast members wandered in and my friend I was with is one of those friends who will like talk to anybody and um she found out that this girl she was standing in line next to was in the Music Man you know and we're both like freshmen in college musical theater and I was like oh my goodness and so then Robert Sean Leonard walks in and of oh. course I'm barely 18 and i was like it's neil you know and they're sitting there and then uh this one this this girl who's in the show is like oh and they're seeing the show tonight and he looks over to us and goes oh great i was like robert sean lennon has made eye contact with my eyeballs and then i've seen him in a few other things since then and you know he's he's lovely but you know he's so good in this movie like young robert sean leonard young Ernest. Robert Chun Leonard to me is like peak. Um, and he's so he's so excellent in this, you know. Just watching yeah. it this time is just like he's so mercurial. He's just not not like a mercurial mood wise. Just like his his work within it is so like it bubbles and it moves and it just he's he's so present. It's just it feels so alive, you know. I think he's just wonderful. Um, I'm going to say that I'll bet both Josh Charles and like Ethan Hawke read for this part as well. Like I'll bet that a lot of the guys kind of like read for each other's roles would be my my guess. Um, Because I feel like Josh Charles, if this were Dead Poet Society, the stage production, I feel like Knox would cover Neil. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) That's just that's just my thinking. That's just my Mm -hmm. thinking. Um, I'll admit my schedule has been bananas. So I have not done the the work on really deep casting this as I would like to. Um, but I'm going to bring up someone who normally I would, I would not think of, but wow. Matthew McConaughey as Neil. Fascinating. How dare you? Meg Ryan is that name 
in such a hallowed context as the Dead Poet Society. Channing Tatum as Neil. I mean, I, I guess. I don't know. I'm really only mad about Matthew McConaughey. That's just that's sacrilegious. <laughs> so Meg Ryan as Neil, you're given the go ahead to. No, but that's so ludicrous. I don't mind. You know what I mean? <sighs> no, um, a young Andrew Garfield feels like would be yes. a, a good fit for this. Um, Absolutely. Very. Yeah, he's so he's got all the kind of um, the excitement and the like young leading man energy that I think uh, is, is necessary for this. And someone who you believe both feels things very deeply and and like could like uh take charge but is is very like intimidated by this father figure and like uh, like you, you just need someone who you yeah. who you buy like it's going to be rebellious enough to do the one thing but not the other um yeah so that's that's really all i've got <laughs> sorry that's no no worries it's hard especially because you know it's also hard because so, this is they're so young yeah, and it lives rent free in my mind. This film, yeah, so but they're all like eighteen, nineteen. They're all like close to the ages that they're playing. Yeah, um, for the most part, the uh, the Charlie was, I think, twenty nine. I believe if I'm twenty nine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Robert Shaw Leonard is so so good in this. It's just nailing all the colors that I want with this character. All the colors of the wind, you know. All those colors of the wind. Um, so I've got. Only actors that kind of match up age-wise, and which is funny to me when you look at that because of how many of them didn't hit till like a decade later, maybe. Yeah. Opposed, you know, that didn't have the like 18-year-old like leading role in a big movie. Um, yeah, like Josh could... Charles later like became Josh Charles, but, you right, know. Right, right. Um, but I could see a young Billy Crudup. Um, mm. I could see, I'm, I'd be the young Matthew Reese mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. version. I could see a young Will Smith. For sure. Baby Mark Ruffalo. Baby Ruff. I would like a lot. I couldn't tell with some of these. It is like between Neil, Charlie, and Todd of like where I would actually want to put put them. A young, like Hugh McGregor is actually the right age. Yes, Uh, that's good. (laughs) um, And I would actually be very interested because seeing this, I see the direct line between this film and this performance and Robert Sean Leonard going on to do edmund in long day's journey into night on broadway Which i saw that was <laughs> that was one of the best things i've ever seen in my life was that production but i'd be very interested in his co-star from that philip seymour hoffman as neil mm, i would be interested now that you've said that uh slightly older than than that him as keating oh philip seymour hoffman absolutely Ugh. absolutely I mean, you know stab me in the yeah. feels yeah uh one other actor that I saw who went after the role was River Phoenix. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. which I absolutely see. This was For 1989, sure. so this is the same year he was doing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade uh, with his little cameo at the beginning as Bibby Indy. And when was, when was Stand By Me? Not that long before this. Um, I want to say that was like 86. Yeah, so, so you yeah, know, he's yeah. The, the right age. He's probably 17. 18 yeah. thereabouts here you'd be great um, I, I i feel yeah. like that's that's good casting i agree i agree but let's move on to charlie dalton aka new wanda amy joe your thoughts on gail hansen and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else gail hansen knocks it out of the park for me like he's so charming he he threads the needle of again we are not looking at like the hell raisers of the school these are very studious good kids who like do as they're told who are starting to 
experiment with like what if I made my own decisions, you know, um, for to, for good and for ill, you know, as all teenagers do. But you have to be like, well, he is rebellious within a certain context. And I think that that's tricky. But I think he yeah. does it very well. He's very funny. I had this is so funny. So the first person that sprang to mind, I did not realize I knew from another context. So I just watched Jennifer's body for the first time. And I was like, oh, this actor who plays this like super goth kid who's like, you know, sensitive, but a little playful like that might uh-huh. be great. It's Kyle Gallner, who's Beaver in Veronica Mars. I was like, that's what? <laughs> so he's yeah. he's got a little more oomph to him in Jennifer's mm-hmm. body and is a little bit less of a wet blanket. I could I could like see that the kind of like he's he's just got a yeah. little bit of like a dark playfulness behind the eyes or in the case of Jennifer's body around the eyes because he's got a lot of eyeliner on um <laughs> fair enough and then i also thought um i was just like let me go back again to the to the recent teens that i've i've seen in things and melvin gregg from uh, american vandal season two who plays the basketball player very fun yeah. very charming electric you need someone who's very charismatic in this role i feel um i agree so like those those were were my picks. Yeah, I think this guy is perfectly fine, but there is like a certain spark that I'm missing from this guy. That's I'm kind of like again because I saw it a million times as a youth, so I just sure. like loved them all unconditionally, <laughs> and that's maybe the, stayed with me. Uh, it was all the Nuwanda stuff. It's all the like well, he's drawn not the, the figures fault. on his chest. No, no, no. But I'm saying. With a certain type of guy, I can see selling that in a way that I buy more. I, I found him a kind of irritating, but not in a way that I found endearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I'm okay with that because I couldn't remember. I knew someone was kind of like turned and I was like, is it him? Because he's the one that's like, I'm not going to march. I'm like, is he the one that kind of like rat like turns on the end? I was like, oh, no, mm-hmm. it's not. Oh, he's the one that's like really like gung ho for Keating and punching out Cameron, yeah. which is also wild that age-wise this matches up because he would not hit for like quite some time but i could see like a young like timothy oliphant like this is where i like the idea of mark ruffalo Mm -hmm. like mark i love mark ruffalo just coming in with like strong intense theater and like when i say theater i mean like stage presence energy i don't mean like theater kid vibes um I mean, like he's going on to I, do. I didn't think you meant theater Arthur kid Miller vibes. on Broadway, yes. and he's doing Awake and Sing on Broadway. That Mark Ruffalo, um, or I could see like even like a young Brendan Fraser. I I, I feel like there's something mm. like where Charlie and Neil to me is like that. I feel like it's not not that they're jockeying for leadership of the gang, but that there is the like you could see either one being well, the leader. When Charlie brings the girls in, like that is such like a an unsanctioned move you know he's the kanicki to neil's danny yeah yeah he's he's definitely more the troublemaker he's the party demon yeah i get what you're saying but i i do not have this problem with this actor and maybe it's also that because i knew a fair amount of people at harvard i feel like i've met this person um he feels (laughs) very i get it accurate to me you know what i mean um so maybe that's also why i have no no problem with it <laughs> i hear you uh one other actor that uh i just saw was up for this i didn't realize when initially making my notes but after watching the film i just stumbled upon this interview uh was sam rockwell auditioned for the role <gasps> but he couldn't nail the part because as he said 
quote, I looked so young, but I wasn't always good at playing young. And that is a quote that I like shot straight to my heart. Relatable content, Sam. As someone who was playing mothers by the age of 14, I understand. Your teenage Lady Bracknell is still well known. Look, I was 20. Was I? Tw- I was twenty when I played Lady Bracknell. I I retract my statement. My apologies. You were fully in your twenties. Fully, fully, just no longer my a teen. hair with with uh, <laughs> the white hairspray. I looked like Jeffrey Rush. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> uh, and uh, finally, we got to move on to Keating himself. Amy Joe, your thoughts on Robin Williams and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? It's a really beautiful performance and really brilliant casting because it's it is someone who you like don't expect in a role like this. So in a way, we're already giving him outsider status. You know what I mean? He's already like this guy shouldn't be in a part like this. It's like, oh, so there's like an implied good inappropriateness to him yeah. being in this institution, in this role, in this movie. So like, it's again, a really smart move of of taking what we know about an actor and using it advantageously. Like like on a technical level, like the um, the stand-up translating well to like this like engaging teaching style, but like purely in yeah. a like, really Robin Williams and you know I mean and then you know he'll go on and do Goodwill Hunting and we'll be like yeah yeah I get it I yeah, know he does Goodwill Hunting he does Awakenings he does you know one hour photo and insomnia like, I know, he would but, go on to give so many great dramatic is performances a, a very similar it's a you know totally. I mean purely like in a mentor kind of uh gotcha. role kind of thing but yeah I don't know I had a variety of of thoughts um the first person that sprang to mind was Ed Harris um oh. which is this is not like his normal thing, but I was like, I don't know, I could, I could see it. Um, Colin Firth, if this were English, feels, mm. you know, and again with an English versus an American, you're gonna get different vibes as to what translates. He's yeah. not like, well, he's not as funny as Robin Williams, but I can see the like compassion from Colin Firth in a way that I think would be useful around this time. I think he'd be age wise appropriate for because I like that Keating's also young. You know, yeah. sometimes you get a teacher that's been there for a long time and they're like, I'm just rolling out the same curriculum every year. I have lost any sense of the need to inspire because my insides have rotted away. You know, like <laughs> it's it's there's there's some teachers who maintain that. And but it's very hard. It's you yeah. know, it's always been hard. <laughs> um, And I think they do a good job with like his room is so small. You know, the monastic order joke that he makes. It's like, yeah, you kind of have to want to do it because the school system even a fancy boarding school does not make it easy to want to be i mean i think people who like go into full-time academia like uh, there's something they got you got to really want to do that because it is like does not seem enticing to me you know Mm. all that is to say um i like that he's a bit on the younger side i think it works well uh with plot wise so He'd be the the right age at this time. I, this is not the kind of thing he was doing at this time. But like, I can really see Denzel doing this really beautifully. Like, same, you know, yeah. He, he's I mean, got I was the warmth thinking, and the charisma. Yeah, in, you know, just like out, out off the charts. Absolutely. Um, I mean, his version of this is kind of remember the Titans, mm. where you're following this group of of guys, this disparate group of guys that, but in that version, that are also like overcoming like where you're in integration um yeah and having denzel as this like mentor 
figure. And you have stuff like The Great Debaters. You have like other, which I've not seen, but like other films where he's kind of, but that's probably more akin with him as like a teacher of like a debate club from what i've not know seen either of those films so uh, oh well remember the titans was a big watch remember the titans was a, a vhs own in my family a vhs <laughs> a vhs uh but denzel will be great he'd be great and then because i was thinking of denzel i was thinking of his inside man co-star and i was like ooh, a few years ago chuatella jayafor would also be oh tremendous yeah. you know um and because he's so good at accents he could be british or american <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of people who would do this role quite well, but I'm glad it was Robin Williams. Um, oh, I agree. Both for his career, because it shifted how we were allowed to see him, you know, yeah. like, like the pivot that Jim Carrey really tried to make and it, it, as we've discussed, didn't, didn't segue as well as it did for Robin Williams. Um, but I think that this movie did a lot for like, yeah, opening up yeah. possibility for us to see him in many kinds of roles in future. Which is so funny because it's also Peter Weir who directed Truman Show because that was like the real oh that makes sense first yeah. one for Jim Carrey that let people see him in that new light and then you know Man on the Moon and Majestic mm -hmm. and he's been able to give a few yeah really I would say good, not, he you know dramatic performances Robin but. Williams won an Oscar eventually like you know yeah. he it, I think it was just more generally sure. accepted by the establishment you know oh I get it um yeah I like. Yeah, Denzel, it, yeah, it depends on what you want from this. If you want, like, the just warm mentor figure, like, yeah, Denzel, I've a forced Whitaker, I think would be really good here. Um, but I like the idea of having someone that is, like, known for comedy or known just, like, that someone a little, a little more that you wouldn't necessarily think to put in this role. Sure. Like, Jeff Goldblum, I, I could see. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, just really ruffling the feathers of all these old academics. Oh, yeah. Um. And I don't know if he can fully do it. I don't know if I've ever seen the full, like, or if, if, or if he's given the full dramatic performance. I've not seen it. But, like, I'm curious with a Steve Martin. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, but I think the only one that, like, if you couldn't get Robin Williams, the only person that I think you could put in this role and have it do everything that you needed to do is Kevin Klein. Oh, that's so, so good. He would absolutely murder this. Yeah. He's giving me everything. I mean, I'm I'm seeing the him at the door turning around as everyone's standing on the desks as he's got the like the yeah. little twinkle in his eyes. I'm seeing you know? it all. Yeah. Uh, Rob Williams said that this was one of his favorite films he did and that Peter Weir was the best director he had ever worked with. Mm. But he was not originally going to play this role. And he was considered for it from the start. But the original director was not Peter Weir. It was this guy, Jeff Canu, who, if I'm not mistaken, directed, I believe, Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> different so vibe. quite a different vibe. And Williams, it was not a secret that he did not like him as the director, uh, that he was just not interested with this guy directing. So Liam Neeson was cast. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. I can see it. Young. Wild to me that like him and Robin Williams are like close to the same age because both would strange. be in their late, late 30s at this time. Yeah. It's strange to think like <laughs> he's probably like my age when he shot this. I'm like, look how. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brother. Um, but yeah, it's hard to picture Liam Neeson. So he dropped uh, or he was cast, but then the original director dropped out to direct Troop Beverly Hills instead. Great. You know. 
people love that movie. So good for and everyone. And it seems like a better fit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just tonally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and instead, in 1989, Liam Neeson did this movie, Next of Kin, which is where he <laughs> is the brother of Patrick Swayze. Already hilarious to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's like Patrick Swayze has to, they, like, they live, I forget where, but he's like, Liam Neeson's playing a redneck. I was about so, to say, someone is doing an accent, not their own, and uh, who is it? I think his his character's name is Bear, and it's like some kind of hillbilly justice movie with, Patri- with Patrick Swayze being like, I live no. in the city now, but I'm teaming up with my wild brother, Liam Neeson, to go get some hillbilly justice. I love a movie where Patrick Swayze is the city slicker. <laughs> Compared to hillbilly Liam Neeson. Hillbilly, noted hillbilly. <laughs> Shotgun-wielding, bear-named. Liam Neeson's. And when Jeff Kanu was still attached as director, Mel Gibson was up for the lead, but he wanted too much money, so he instead did Lethal Weapon 2 this year. Again, good riddance, and it worked out great for everyone. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And then this was when the director left, which is wild, because then like Disney was very dead set on, like, we gotta get Robin. We gotta get Robin for this. So they tried a hardball tactic to get everything moving, which is bananas to me, is that they just decided to build the sets and get everything ready and hope that Robin Williams would turn up to the first day of shooting, which he did not. So the sets got burnt down and the director left because Robin was like, no, I'm not doing your movie. I don't want to do this movie directed by this guy. Uh, so they were like, okay, moving on. Let's try this again. You so now Robin Williams <laughs> is showing up to a set without a contract signed. Are you, have you lost your minds? Disney? Disney. They clearly don't have a connection. They don't have a firm grasp on how reality works. They're like, we can just give you money. We got the house of mouse. We'll give you enough money. You'll do what we say. Money. We got how much cheese we got to throw you. How how much? How many Mickey bucks do we got to give you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then after that, Dustin Hoffman was set to both direct and star. Interesting. I mean, given what we've heard about Dustin Hoffman, I'm not thrilled with that, but like I can I can see it acting wise. It would be good. Yeah. Uh, And apparently at this point, this was when Keating was supposed to have be ill uh, because Dustin Hoffman like told the writer, he's like, I'm going to lose 20 pounds to play this character because he took the note about him dying very seriously. And he he wanted it to be like providing breadcrumbs, which the writer was like, that's not what I intended to define the character, but it was hard to fight Dustin because this was his first screenplay this guy yeah tom shulman who won the oscar for it and but it's like and here's dustin hoff here's you know academy award winner dustin hoffman who wants to direct and star it's how do you say and and it's as we know dustin hoffman can be a little disagreeable i've i've heard that jeff (laughs) um but then dustin was out and peter weir came in uh, which clearly helped getting robin williams yeah. finally involved uh instead in 1989 dustin hoffman wound up doing this movie family business which would talk about the like familial casting with patrick swayze and liam neeson this was dustin hoffman with his son matthew broderick and his dad sean connery as they all pull off a robbery together I am screwing my face up into the emoji with the monocle. I don't know about this family tree, guys. "Mm." (laughs) But before we got to Robin Williams, we still had a few more people that wound up getting considered. I think this is all when Peter Weir was up for it. Alec Baldwin 
was considered for the role. You know what? I, he did not make it onto my list because I don't want him in this role. But I did think the I did think of him for this. I could I get see it. it. I get it. But it is. Robin's got the softness to him. He's got yes. the cuddliness to him. He's not abrasive. He's he doesn't no. have like a, a personality like paint thinner. <laughs> True. Uh, which speaking of cuddliness, Tom Hanks was considered. That when you were talking about, oh, I forget who it was. You're you're talking about Kevin Klein. I was like, I can see. And you were talking about also people known for comedy. I was like, ah, I can see this being also a, a Tom Hanks yeah. like continuing into becoming. I mean, because he and Robin Williams both have been in a lot of ways like America's dad, you know. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, from our, I think in our Hook episode, I believe it was both Tom Hanks and Kevin Klein were also up for it. And maybe Kevin Klein was cast or one well, of them was Jeff, cast. And we recorded that a long time ago. And I know. I my memory don't work good no more. say on this. People are like, oh, but what? <laughs> listeners will like will run into in the wild and be like oh and wasn't blah blah blah. i'm like i don't know you're saying that like i remember (laughs) you've listened to it more recently than i heard it from jeff um because this is the year after big so tom hanks already had his big like oh you are not just bosom buddies and splashes tom hanks you you're now in a big movie but this would have been like what a one-two punch that would be to like have then a full drama because uh, instead in 89, he was doing The Burbs and Turner and Hooch. But Tom Hanks, you know, he's America's dad. He's doing just fine. Uh, and it wasn't very long before he was, you know, Philadelphia was like, what, 92? Like he was something like that. Yeah. yeah he and, and Sleepless in Seattle, which I saw once like that. happened. <laughs> that's like 1990 or something like much beloved. He's he's doing fine. You know what, Tom Hanks? His career turned out fine. <laughs> And that sound means it's time to play a quick round of Two Truths and Some Guy. The way it works, two of the following actors were up the role of Keating, one was not. And Amy chose to guess which is which. Your options are John Travolta, Mickey Rourke, and Bill Murray. Oh, wowie, 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 wow. Um, okay. Ah, uh, now you could have put this on here to trick me. But given that they were very interested, oh, this face you're making, this angelic face of happiness that you're making. Um, <laughs> I would think if they're that seriously considering Robin Williams, that <laughs> no, just making little angel wings, <laughs> little angel flying, flying, flying. Um, if they're really that seriously looking at Robin Williams and really wanted wanted him for, it, I wonder if like Bill Murray was in the mix as well, even though. His curmudgeonliness, which we love, not curmudgeon, but the kind of sour note that he strikes. I'm just like, I don't know if I would buy that energetically. Oh, just like, I don't know. Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> Thank I you for providing this. The, uh, the captions for this uh, non-visual medium. Uh-huh. I'm enjoying it. Um, Mickey Rourke seems wild to me, but then again, I haven't ever seen Diner, so I don't quite know like what uh, what people were thinking at the time. You know, like they have more information. They were thinking, "Huba Huba, look at this uh, smoke show, this suave, charismatic young so and so, young so and so, this Brando esque." Who was the first one? John Travolta. Oh right. Danny Zuko himself. Uh, oh, oh, is that who John Travolta is? I was I unaware. So. I think so. 
Mm, oh gosh, I don't know because I could see a world in which people think all of these are good ideas. I personally think all of them are bad ideas, but I can see a world where other people were like, "We gotta get ah, uh, we gotta get." John Travolta really moves the needle, um, but I don't think he was moving the needle at this point. So I'm gonna go John Travolta. Ding, ding, ding! That is correct. Yes. Well done. John Travolta, as far as I could tell, was not considered for Keating. Mickey Rourke turned it down after Peter Weir refused to make script changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bill Murray was considered. And instead, in 1989, he was doing Ghostbusters 2. I so agree. Bill Murray is just, he's, the curmudgeonly spirit does it's not a bit sour fit with this. When you need someone who's just like, think about the possibility in life. And even since he's been like a young comic, it's been like, mm-hmm. He, what his notes that he plays that are funny are like about how annoyed he is by everything and that's just I, not a real inspirational point you know i'd be a lot more interested in his snl co-star eddie murphy as keating yeah well he's got more up energy you need exactly. someone with an up yeah because because like bill murray is hilarious but what makes him funny is that he is like it's a downward iconic inflection like that's yeah. it this is and this can't be that or it doesn't it doesn't no. work. It would read false. It'd be like, I don't yeah. know that this guy is reading poetry and being excited about seizing the day. I think he's like, right. what's the point? You know, even I don't want this, but I could see Dan Aykroyd over Bill Murray. Absolutely. Because his comedic inflective point is up, up, up. Yeah. Yeah. You need it. That's what you need. And make your work like, I get it. I get it. But we got Robin. It was meant to be Robin. It this was is meant to be Robin. An iconic Robin Williams performance. Oh, yeah. And so they did not say what roles they were up for, but I have to add that in an interview in 2016, both Matt Damon and Ben Affleck revealed that they had auditioned for unspecified roles. So don't know who I could see them. I feel like Matt Damon would be a a young Matt Damon is a very natural Todd. Like, I feel like he would he looks so much like Ethan Hawke in in this movie, like young Matt. and, And then I feel like, I don't know. Ben Affleck just feels like not Ben Affleck classic Chet Danbury actually <laughs> yes is that one I, line perfect this guy Chet Danbury had the funniest line reading at the party after he like sees uh Knox forehead smooching his uh-huh. uh his uh, Chris he starts beating him up and he goes and this is the line reading next time I see you you die <laughs> it's you die yeah next time i see you you die there's no space it's you there's you no comma no sejura and it's the same emphasis on the you the you and the die next time i see you you die yeah, yeah. <laughs> next then, time i see you you die yeah, i watched right. it three times in a row because it made me <laughs> laugh so much um i wonder I if see- ben affleck was up for um oh i forget the guy's name but it's the guy who and i truly treasure this actor for this Gives the best bad line readings. The one who gets up into the pump, the cat the sat, cat on, sat the mat, on the mat, and then mat. gives the thumbs up to the friend. Yeah, but then stands at the end. I think like on his line reading when he's about to kick the soccer ball is like, oh, to be da 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 something 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 like it. It just like the inflection is so yeah. like I can't. Re- it feels very real and it makes me laugh. So I'm like Ben Affleck could have been that guy. You know why it felt real? That actor, his name is Matt Carey, and he was a St. Andrews student at the time where 
they filmed. So, he, so he's just like giving reality. Yes. I but love they cast that. a lot of students to fill in just as background extras, but he yeah. got like a little of that line. And so because of that line, he earned more than his teachers that year. <laughs> That's what I'm saying about it's hard to be a teacher. <laughs> he said he read several lines poorly again i think it is great for the movie but like that he is not an enthusiastic slash good reader like i think that that works great because it also feels less actory (laughs) that's outlandishly uh that wow wow what an indictment what indictment of our school systems pay payment of teachers Yeah. So those are all the characters I found other casting options for. There are a few characters we didn't mention. I want to briefly touch on them. Got to talk about Ethan Hawke as Todd. So good. Beautiful. He said he remembered Peter Weir telling him how he always tries to cast for the final color, which I think we've mentioned on the podcast before a few times. And he had to ask him what he meant by that because he, you know, he really wanted to play Neil. And he said, like, you know, Robert Shaw Leonard is naturally very shy and introverted and Ethan Hawke's like the exact opposite. And if you're watching a movie where the shy kid ultimately stands on the desk and stands up for himself while the outgoing kid contrarily takes his own life, both of these moments have to ultimately ring true. So it's almost as if you're initially putting a facade over the truth and then the authentic nature of the characters become unmasked over time. That's casting for the final color. I mean, and Robert Shaw Leonard's work, I'm going to cry again, in that in the final scene, like with his parents, where he like tries to say, like, you won't let me tell you what I feel. It's like, well, what do you feel, Neil? What do you feel? Is it more of this acting business? And just like the way he like shuts down and retreats and then all that silent work that he yeah. does, like in, in the like, you know, the shots leading up to to him going into the study. Like it is that it is like very private. It is very quiet and it is very shut down i think that that's such a great example of how to effectively use yeah exactly what an actor is actually most comfortable doing in a moment where they're gonna where the character feels most exposed yeah originally the scene where uh neil comes across todd having received the desk set it's his where Mm -hmm. it's his birthday he's got the desk set it was just supposed to be this kind of like self-pitying monologue from Todd and it wasn't really working and Peter Weir was like why don't you two go off and like figure that like pretty much just to improvise and they were like we're like these teenagers and this is like our the one of some you know like our first big movie really uh and it was their idea they just came up with this whole the whole like you know this is aerodynamic like and like whipping it off the roof and they were like are we really getting away with this that we're just like make we're just having fun and like making this up as we go along and this is gonna make it into the film uh and it's such a beautiful moment but it's also like yeah here are your two actors who would go on to be very very big actors famous successful both still working in major capacities today absolutely ethan hawk said that his mom had made hawk's children watch dead poet society which didn't go as planned. He said three quarters of the way through, my son said, so when do you come on, dad? <gasps> and, and then when he pointed, it's like, that's me. And he went, oh, the crooked teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Red to film. Just getting burnt by your kids. And apparently when filming began, Ethan Hawke believed that Rob Williams didn't like him as he, t- he was really trying to stay in character as Todd. 
And he said, the more I didn't laugh, the more insane that Robin Williams got. <laughs> so he thought that Robin hated him because he would constantly just clearly be like trying to like get him. And it's yeah. also like, that's also so good. That's the relationship. That's so the relationship. Uh, and then he, he, he didn't, he was very concerned that Robin was like hated him and that Robin just thought he was like so serious. I think he said like, Oh, you're, you're so intimidating. And Hawk thought he was like making fun of him. And it's like, no, it's cause like, you're not laughing at what Robin Williams because is doing. Because what I do is I am used to people falling down with laughter and someone who doesn't do that makes me feel like my whole career has been a lie because artists are absolutely neurotic. And so after filming, Hawk got a phone call from Robin Williams' agent. The agent said that Robin says you're going to be somebody and that I should sign you. And Ethan Hawk said he got me my first agent and he's still my agent now. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To move on to something, some trivia that's not quite as... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> making me want to cry more. Uh, Josh Charles is Knox Overstreet. As we said, he's so cute. He's very charming. Uh, they, that, I love this shot. That was like one of his favorite moments of filming of just him riding the bike, like th- this big, beautiful shot of him riding his mm-hmm. bike like down this hill, scattering all these geese. Uh, it was originally, they had all these grips and people hidden behind bushes with air horns trying to scare the geese so they would fly away as he came down on the bike. Uh, geese did not care. Not moving, not <laughs> flying. And it's a big hill. So he, he's like, I'm a 17-year-old kid. I don't care. I'm on a bicycle. Let's go. I said to Peter, why don't I just try to ride down right in between them? Drop me up at the top of the hill. I'll get on the bike and I'll just come st- like straight down. And like, are you, are you all right to do that? And the Teamsters drove him up and they're like, okay, this is where you're going to go because oh, I don't know no. if we'll be able to do another take. And it had rained. So it's like very slippery. So he's like, I came down that hill on that bike and those birds took off and flew. And it's one of my favorite shots in the movie because it's just so beautiful. It's so well done. And it speaks volumes about all those characters being free of all that they had been taught before, being free of living this sort of conforming life. But I was watching that shot being like, how is he not eating shit? Mm Because he goes through those geese. And then he's like on like a small little dock. Like you see puddles of water he's going through. And it is narrow. Uh, But it is a beautiful beautiful shot as you said like they they really shot the crap out of this film it it looks stunning it's gorgeous i mean and like the thing is they also it's they made uh, welton helton as they all call it they make it look beautiful but like ancient as ancient as anything in america you know can look but like they make it look beautiful but like intimidating but then all those outdoor shots are just yeah, so free and and you see really like all the seasons and and just like the seasons are changing as the boys are changing and it, I don't know, it's just it's really stunning and yeah. I I forgot a lot about that aspect of watching. I was like, "Oh, right." Like with the first few shots, I was like, "Oh, right, 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 right. This is uh, gorgeous the whole way through." Yeah. We got the rest of our dead poets, uh Alan Ruggiero as Stephen Meeks. James I think he's Waterston. so great in this. Yeah. James yeah. Waterston as Gerard Pitts and uh, Dylan Koosman as Richard Cameron, uh, which they're great. I think it's such a great ensemble of like this main core group yeah. that they got all as, work really well together. As a tall, I really appreciated when Pitts would hit his head. Uh, that really, <laughs> that feels, you know, I like, I like the tall representation. Um, yeah. They're mm-hmm. all so like, they look so different. Their vibes are also different, but they all work so well together. And it's just a really, really great ensemble. 
uh, one of the things that helped Dylan Kussman get the role of Richard Cameron was that in the original script, Cameron is also standing on the desk at the end. And in his audition, he's, he's like, I don't think my character would do that. I, I think it would be much more true to what the character says in the script if he doesn't allow himself to get up. And Peter Weir said, you're exactly right. Yeah, he's like, he's made his decision. I also love that it's Neil reading the Pritchard introduction in the first classroom scene. And then it's Cameron. You know, yeah. because also that headmaster knows who's on his side. He's like, all right, then I'm going to yeah. get my like my new little lackey to to do this so that so that also it's Cameron's voice who, again, just feels like now the voice of the establishment in this young man while Keating is getting ready and, and leaving like that. That's the VO we're hearing is this character who has been the Judas, essentially. You know, I think it's just a really well decided and yeah it'd be the kind of thing where it would not make sense for him to stand up this is the guy that when he tears out the introduction he does it with a ruler like <laughs> it it's really savvy for him to be like no this doesn't make sense because yeah. it, it it wouldn't it doesn't we have norman lloyd as the headmaster gail oh. nolan oh. great hard-ass performance uh and but kurtwood smith as thomas perry neil's dad i mean i always love kurtwood smith but he really he crushes this because mm -hmm. it isn't that like the heartbreak and the devastation in that last moment. And then you don't see him again. Right. You know, you don't need to see him for the whole like the investigation um, because you can just picture it. You can picture the self-loathing and picture the like the refusal to accept yes. responsibility for yeah. your your hand and your son taking his life because mm -hmm. of the corner that he felt he was backed into. Kurtwood Smith said that at the premiere he saw a family with the father domineering his son very much like his own character in the film. And after the film, Smith noticed the family leaving and saw that the father was crying. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I mean, good, you know, you the know. power of art and all. Oh, oof. Yeah. But that's just, I mean, how much like that relationship rings true. And like Kurt Smith is so, like, so good at playing yeah, he's that He's so good. Type. It is an ego-free performance. Yeah. He is, you know, because it's also like we're not seeing that character with his golf buddies. We're not seeing that character at work. We're seeing that character in a position of power at all times. We're seeing that character like who isn't trying to like make nice with people. He's trying to like, I've worked really, really hard to be able to get you to have more opportunities than I did. And you are you are going to fulfill them. We see what he thinks is a him being compassionate. Yeah. But like we we never get to see him like. In a situation, you know, like I, I regardless, I just think it's it's really well crafted and um, the performance is just like unafraid to be completely unlikable because you yeah. also see it's so human and you see where this person. In, I mean, this still happens today, obviously, but especially at like this point in history, thinking about like if this is the late 50s, like he's lived through World War Two, you know, like it's just thinking about this character's background it all just like rings true with relatively little screen time. Absolutely. So final thoughts, Amy Joe. anything we haven't touched on, any other characters that popped out at you? Oh, this is completely unimportant. But in that, in that first like big scene where they're all coming into the assembly hall, um, I misread, you know, when they're coming in with the banners and everything and it's like all the, the four mm -hmm. pillars. I misread because I was watching it on my Kindle, so it was very small. I misread the honor banner as humor, and I was like, "That, that cannot be right. <laughs> that can't be For right." For myriad reasons, <laughs> there's no way they're like humor. 
You know, it's important. <laughs> Be of good cheer. Oh, yeah. I wrote at one point when when Neil is like auditioning and not telling us when Neil is sitting down to like write the letter, the fake letter from his father to get permission to like do the play. I wrote, huh. I guess Keating skipped the Greeks and left out the concept of hubris, uh, <laughs> which would have been useful for them to know. Yeah. So I'll, I'll end. I've got two things to end with. Uh, there was a sequel planned that would have followed Todd becoming a teacher in Keating's footsteps. Um, and I just saw that the movie was canceled due to the unavailability of the, of the original cast. So I don't know how many, if it would have just I, I would assume Ethan Hawke and then maybe they were hoping they could get like Robin Williams in some kind of supporting role to come yeah. in for like a few scenes. Um, but it's like this kind of film. It's like you don't, don't no, make sequels to this. I don't need to know what really happened to them all. That's actually like what's really important is this moment in their lives. You know, Yeah, I don't need to see these guys now sending their kids no. to school 20 mm-hmm. years later. Uh, look, Knox and Chris did make it. Aren't you so glad to know <laughs> I love that? that Josh Charles was like, are you nuts? Absolutely not. Uh, and early notes on the script from Disney suggested making the boys passion dancing rather than poetry, as well as a new title, Sultans of Swing. I have heard this. <laughs> and then Robert, Rob, uh, Robert Sean Leonard would go on to do Swing Kids, but like... Or had just done it. I forget where it actually is. In, in that's after. I think that's er- that's early nineties. Him and uh, Christian Bale. And Christian Bale, you know, probably better as a Todd, but I could see as a Neil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I forgot about that. I get <laughs> wanting to be like, let's do something visual. This is a visual medium, but it's like dancing, dancing. No, <laughs> not like this. Not like not this. like this. <laughs> Amy Joe. Yes. What are you recommending this week? Well, as I was watching this, it was really making me think like the way that the boys have their whole futures planned out for them. It really reminded me of the Up series, which Mm. I am going to recommend the whole thing. But like basically in 19, I think 64 or so, this, you know, someone, I forget this, this filmmaker got a bunch of seven year olds in England. And interview them all about like their future lives, kind of like with the concept, like, show me a child of seven and I will show you the man. So then the guy who was the assistant filmmaker on that seven years later, when they were 14, and it was called Seven Up, when Mm -hmm. when they were 14, he was he then made another film checking in with all of them. And then he's continued that every seven years. So it's called the Up series, Seven Up, 14 Up, 21 Up. And you you see like. At the beginning of each film, they'll do like a really quick like or as they do each subject, like each person, they'll do a quick like, you know, recap of like the previously on. Yes. So there were these three boys who were at like an elite prep school type thing. And they're, you know, all the kids are being asked like what they want to be when they grow up. And like the one Cockney kid from the East is like, I want to be a jockey when I grow up. Yeah, I want to be I want to be a jockey. And then like he is a jockey for a bit and then he becomes a taxi driver and he's like a runaway favorite. We love Tony. But like these three little boys in this prep school are like, I'm going to go to something, something academy and then to Eton and then to blah, 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 to study law. They're seven. And wow. what's wild is when you get to like 21 up, you, you see them like saying that when they're a kid. And then when they're like 14, they're like, uh, I attended blah, 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 academy. Most of them are the exact academy that they had said they were going to go to. And then the college 
like uh, Trinity College, you know, uh, Oxford, blah, 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 Cambridge. And they do exactly. And then there's one of those little boys who doesn't quite go according to plan. And you see the kind of like the shame as he's recounting that. Like, it's just very fascinating to see these kids who it's like, yeah, you yeah. did exactly. Your life turned out like your father's did because your father planned your life, which is and they seem to be like happy to a certain extent with it but it's fascinating so anyway just like a lot of that that kind of ideas of of legacy and of you know privilege and wealth and and parents and expectation all that um it's very interesting they're kind of addicting to watch so i would say yeah the up series starting with seven up love it jeff Amy Jo. What you recommending? Uh, I'm going to recommend a book this week. I'm going to recommend Anxious People by Frederick Bachman, uh, which I absolutely loved. On on paper, its basic logline is that a would-be bank robber accidentally winds up taking uh, an open house hostage of people who want, who are, like in their words, like the worst hostages ever because of their like petty complaints and infighting an open house uh, at like a like a apartment viewing type thing a house viewing. yes and an, an, an apartment viewing in sweden it's a he's a swedish writer uh but it it which is it's so funny but so warm and witty and like touches on so many beautiful things of what it means to be human under the guise of like this very stupid robbery that goes wrong because they try to rob a, a cashless bank mm-hmm. <laughs> um but it's really incredible. It's the same author who wrote, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, a man called Ovi, I believe, uh, and Bear Town, like all these things that are being adapted now into like series and movies. Uh, this guy, Frederick Bachman, like it really is extraordinary. I need to read more of his books because this one I loved so, so, so much. Yeah, I remember you talking about it when you read it. Yeah, so strongly recommend Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. And that's what we're recommending this week. Da da da. So thank you again to Christina for requesting Dead Poets Society. And if you, listener, have a movie you'd love for us to break down the casting of, remember, email us at analmoststarring@gmail.com and let us know. You can follow us on Instagram at analmoststarring, where we will announce what we're doing the next week and also just post some really silly pics and snippets. Until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And thanks for joining us to see who almost starred. (laughs) 